Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Spring is here, finally. The weather is finally nice outside, and that means it is the start of festival season. From Bonnaroo to South by Southwest, Coachella to Govall, there are so many music festivals in the U.S. that attending all of them would be a full-time job, a very actually fun full-time job. But festivals have become much more than just a concert. It's turned into a lifestyle. There are pre-parties and after-parties to be seen at, tons of delicious food to eat and Instagram, and style bloggers who have paved the way to curating your world wardrobe specifically for a weekend festival. I'm Elisa Benson. This is Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast, and today we are talking about music festivals. Joining me in the room today is Cosmopolitan.com's senior entertainment editor, Eliza Thompson. Hi, girl. Hi. Hi. Bringing the energy, Eliza. And we also have Pat... <laughs> Why did I just say your name wrong? Sorry, can we edit this out to you? <laughs> I almost called you Patty. That's okay. Um, people probably do that all the time. Okay. And we also have Peggy Trong in studio, an entertainment writer for Cosmopolitan.com. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Elisa. Hi, guys. Okay, first questions first. Eliza, how many festivals have you been to in your life? Oh, gosh. Um, a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Co- I went to Coachella once. Okay. Lollapalooza, Pitchfork, Govball. Basically all of them. Is there anyone you haven't been to that you really want to go to? Um, Aspirational festivals. Not really. I feel like I'm past festival <laughs> right. age, but maybe Outside Lands, and which I've heard is fun. When did you first go? Like, how did you go, like, when you were in high school or college or in your, like, adult grown-up life? I think the first one I ever went to, uh, I was in college and I had just turned 21. Oh, my gosh. So, so it was, like, such a party. So cool. <laughs> Peggy, what about you? How many festivals have you been to? Um, I've been to a few in Canada, but for for the audience for Cosmo, I think Coachella is the only one they would recognize. Yeah. Um, and that was years ago, maybe six, seven years ago. Did you guys feel any FOMO as Coachella Weekend 1 just happened? Actually, by the time this airs, both weekends will have happened. Did you guys feel any FOMO watching your Instagram feeds blow up with people at Coachella? Not at all. No. <laughs> Especially because now you can watch it on YouTube yeah. like in your pajamas at home, which I know, Eliza, you did this weekend. I actually missed everything, but you can go back and visit it on Monday. Yeah, you Wait, I didn't do that. Oh, you, you did sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so great. So we, it sounds like we have a lot of former <laughs> music festival lovers in the room. Um, Eliza, what is it about music festivals? So even if you feel like you are past the past your prime music festival going age, our readers are obviously obsessed with them. There really is such a culture around it. Why has this become such a thing in the past few years? 
They're like, just really fun. Like, people go to Coachella to, like, not even watch the music at all. I feel like that has become such a tiny piece of it. Yeah. I mean, well, I think, at least for the music part, people... It's so much easier to listen to a wide variety of music than it used to be. Yeah. So when you go to Coachella, you're like, oh, my God, I can see 100 bands, and I've heard of all of them, you know? Yeah. But if you're just going for the fun time... I don't know. You know, you're just out in the sun, you're drinking, you're hanging out with friends, everybody's in cool outfits. It looks like, I mean, they, of course, like, this is always the trick on social media, but I feel like all of these festivals are really, like, designed with that in mind. You know, like, the Coachella, um, like, I almost said roller coaster. <laughs> I don't know my amusement park rides. You know, the Ferris wheel has become such an, I think, icon of that festival. And, like, I'm sure is the case with other festivals as well. There are these sort of, like, visual assets that I think really, like, play to the social media age. Yeah, I remember the year I went to GovBall, they had this, um, like, big Statue of Liberty wearing sunglasses. And it was, like, on Sheep. the grass. So you could just walk right up to her and take pictures. Right, right, right. Because, like, why would you go to a festival if you didn't take a picture? I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, and, Peggy, so you just wrote a really fascinating story for the site, getting the inside scoop about Coachella from the food stands. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the craziest things that came up when you were researching that story? First of all, how many food vendors did you talk to? I talked to about seven, um, and I, I only quoted about six of them because they were all had very similar stories. And the one that, it, depending on how you look at it, it's not very surprising, but they don't make a lot of money out of it. And a lot of them said to me that... Uh, it didn't matter because the experience is priceless. And I know that's very cliche, but where else would you, you know, find yourself selling a ton of fries, overpriced fries maybe, with all this pork belly or, you know, ramen or ice cream, and then eight hours after being in the sun, you're watching, like, Kanye West or Lady Gaga from this past weekend. Right. Like, there's nothing else like it. So they're doing it in part to just have a ticket in. Oh, yeah. Everyone's there to have a great time, and everyone's so po – most people I talked to were very positive about that. Like, yeah, they were dehydrated and sweating, <laughs> and it was, like, so much work because you're really setting up a kitchen in the middle of nowhere. Right. I actually – this is totally blowing my mind because I would have always had the – I had the perspective of, like, oh, my gosh, these people are working so hard for their money. This seems so grueling. It's actually very interesting to me to hear you say, like, the money is, like, they're not making anything at all. These people are actually there because they yeah. love festivals. It does really increase their brand because now everything's on social media, so they get a lot of followers. People are taking the most gorgeous food photos, right. tagging them, putting their names out there. And a lot of these people are from the L.A. food scene, so they're known in that aspect but when you're at Coachella it's like the entire world right it's maybe a way for them of taking something that is trendy and popular on the west coast and yeah. bringing it international yeah <laughs> um and you also talked to the food vendors who have served celebrities what yes. were some of your favorite anecdotes that you heard um well last year uh this guy from ramen hood told uh, he served Jaden Smith and his friends and they just ate ramen for two hours and were just having the best time. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. Especially because I'm like, who goes to the desert when it's like 90 degrees and yeah, eats it's, ramen? It's really weird, but people crave Jaden, ramen. such a trendsetter. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, and then another one was um, someone from Backyard Bowls, which they do a lot of these. If you look on their Instagram, it's really pretty fruit bowls, um, you know, with all the nutrients. Everything's good, good in that bowl. 
uh, Kellen Lutz, the actor from yeah. Twilight. He went and um, he pay- he overpaid for a bowl because he just really wanted some fruit and granola, and he I think gave them twenty five dollars when the bowl was maybe six or seven dollars. Oh my gosh! Can you imagine having so much money that you can just give people twenty five dollars? No. <laughs> I want Kellen Lutz's job. Yeah. How do I become an actor from the Twilight franchise? <laughs> I think you're too late. It might be a little, it might be about a decade too late. Yeah. <laughs> Eliza, do you remember having any any standout food experiences from your music besties? Oh man. Coachella, I just remember being horrible because they had really good food but the lines were always long. So we just ended up literally eating french fries and corn dogs for three days yeah and by the end of it i thought i was gonna die right like actually die you thought you were gonna like either die or like turn into a human corn dog yeah it was bad um (laughs) that like sodium desert sun combo in like booze seems real deadly yeah it was not a good time um food wise i'm trying to think if i ever ate anything like really good one time at GovBall, this place called Sticky's Finger Joint had a stand, and they had these really good, um, like, chicken fingers. Ooh, I and I had to, now. I had to wait for them for so long, but they were worth it. Well, the food is a huge – I mean, I feel like the, hu- the food has become a huge part at all the festivals, but I know at GovBall and at the Meadows, which are both run by the same company, and we're going to be jumping on the phone with our friend Tom over there a little bit later. I know the food has become a huge part of what they do. It's like these festivals are releasing these food lineups the same way that they're releasing the, like, music lineups. And because I feel like anytime a festival announces their musical lineup, it's inevitably there's like backlash to it. So in some <laughs> ways, they're probably like, let's go harder on food. <laughs> Everyone loves food. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, well, oh, and the other very important question I wanted to ask both of you guys is did you ever wear a flower crown during your festival days? No. I think they weren't in when I went. Yeah. Eliza? No, I've never worn one. Never worn one. I did. I did once buy like a two hundred dollar straw hat. Oh my god! Because I was like, it's so beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I have literally only ever worn it to music festivals. <laughs> Your music festival hat. I love it. Yeah. Um, well, the style is such an important part of these festivals, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that later. Um, our beauty editor Carly Cardellino, who's not actually calling into the episode, but just got back from Coachella, told me there was not a flower crown in sight. They're officially over. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's remember what Taylor Swift said that last year? Chokers are the new flower crowns. <laughs> Here we are. R.I.P. R.I.P. Hey, I'm still keeping that trend going. Um, so let's go ahead and call up some of our friends, some of our friends to talk about music festivals. What do you guys think? Love it. Love it. Great. Our first guest was named one of Billboard Magazine's 30 Under 30 Music Business Executives You Need to Know in 2011, and then went on to create Founders Entertainment, the company that has brought New York City, the Meadows, and the very famous GovBall Music Festival. Welcome, Tom Russell. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for bringing some festivals, you know, over to New York. My pleasure. I was born and raised here, so I definitely wanted to bring my hometown some marquee events. And so was was that sort of the impetus for creating Founders Entertainment? It was. Um, I went to college. Well, I grew up here in the city uh, and was going to shows uh, on St. Mark's Place, seeing punk rock shows as a kid. And then I got into jam bands and went to a bunch of shows at the Wetlands growing up and um, was just a huge music fan. And then I went to college in New Orleans uh, at Tulane, and that was just about the time that Bonnaroo uh, came about. And I went there and had an amazing time and um, realized that the company that put that event on 
uh, was based in New Orleans. So I somehow convinced them to hire me as an intern and worked my butt off for them, um, so much so that they hired me. Uh, and I worked for them for about six years. And then once I got to the point where I wasn't learning anything else and it had hit my ceiling, and also I wasn't involved in some closed-door conversations that I really wanted to be involved with, right. I decided that it was the right time to, to leave there and start my own shop and bring a music festival to my hometown, which uh, at the time didn't have one. Um, And it's so funny to talk about New York as being your hometown, because I can imagine that this is probably the most, I mean, first of all, the idea of being like, I think I'll just invent a music festival seems totally bonkers to me. But also in New York City, where it's hard and expensive to do everything. It's, It's certainly not easy. And there's such big financial risks and so complex, especially when you're dealing with uh, city agencies, municipalities, et cetera. Um, you know, the first thing was really figuring out what type of event we wanted to do and where. Um, having been to Bonnaroo and Lollapalooza and Jazz Fest and tons of festivals around the country, I knew I wanted to put on a multi-stage, multi-genre festival. And you were like going featured... big from the very beginning, basically. Well, not not huge. You know, the first event, um, the first Cup Ball was in 2011 and was a two-stage event with 12 bands. And um, it was only one day. And thankfully, we had good weather that day. And we had Big Boy from Outcast and Empire of the Sun and Girl Talk and Pretty Lights. Um, but it really focused on a upbeat, exciting indie dance style uh, of music that at that time was really popular, but we thought was underserviced in the market or underserved in the market because there were EDM events that were basically focusing on um, a more crunchy style of EDM. And we were going for the more accessible style of electronic music that was more um, musician-based. And it was just the right time. You know, All Points West had failed. Uh, a number of other events in the market hadn't worked out. And, um, you know, we, we put this thing together from the mindset of music lovers who love festivals. And, you know, we wanted to only put on events that we ourselves would want to go to uh, if we were living in the city at that time. So that was the inspiration for sure. And how big is GovBall now? Like, how many people are you expecting this year? Every year we do 50,000 people a day, and we are a three-day festival. So over the course of three days, it's 150,000 people, and we sell tickets pretty much in every country in the world. And um, about 70% of our audience is from New York City but the remainder is from all over. And um, it's really become a, a destination for folks who um, who want to experience both New York City and uh, a big festival. You know, there's just so much to do in the city that people uh, make a vacation out of it and you know, mess around the city for a few days and then come to the festival for three days. So it's, um, it's a nice excuse to make your way to the, to the market. And I think it was very revealing that you said in 2011 when you had the first Gov Ball that it was a nice day. That is something you battle in New York that I feel like a Coachella doesn't really have to deal with quite as much. How, you know, what do you do when the weather is terrible? Are you like a bride before before her wedding day where she just spends weeks checking the forecast and like has dreams about downpours? 
Well, I don't consider myself to be a religious person, but about the time of the festival, I am praying to every god out there that the weather is going to be good. Right. Um, but when you're in the outdoor event business, um, you you never know what you're going to get. And even Coachella has dust storms that make the experience oh. uh, not the best. Um, you know, certainly rain is, uh, is something that happens in the Northeast and all over the country. Um, but look, weather is one of the great unknowns, and the unknown aspect of music festivals is one of the things that makes them so great and so special. Um, if you look at Woodstock in 1969, they had tons of rain and tons of mud, and while that might not have made for the best um, experience while you're getting rained on, um, you know the memories last forever, and it makes it such a unique environment and experience you'll never forget it. And um, the beautiful thing about you know, some of the bands that we book is, you know, they love playing in rain uh, or when the sun is shining, they don't care. And they bring, you know, 110% and, you know, people are out there having a ball and, um, you know, the weather is kind of at the top of everybody's mind, but everybody knows that it's um, just one of those things you can't control and you're going to have a good time regardless. And I, ha- I have so many questions. One I want to ask, I have a follow-up question I'm going to come back to about Woodstock. But first of all, about the talent. You know, we know at Cosmo, you know, we work with talent to, like, come in and do a video one time, and it's, like, a nightmare to schedule. How, you know, at this point, I'm sure you have entire teams of people that are helping with all the logistics and talent coordination, but the idea of getting any lineup of artists, like, able to commit to something so far in advance to be able to sell the tickets for it like that to me just feels like an impossible thing can you speak to that at all and the sort of reality of trying to put together a festival lineup sure um so for each of our festivals govball and the meadows uh, each festival has about 60 to 66 slots and um at the beginning of each year if you will we sit down and we decide which bands we want to go for for really each and every slot. And we start from the top and we go down. So we look at, you know, which headliners do we think would be great for 2017? Um, You know, we want to fill all of the genre quotas. We want to make sure we have a great rock band, a great rapper, hip-hop artist, um, great electronic music, great indie rock, so on and so forth. And we come up with kind of a wish list, and then we reach out to... Uh, the various booking agencies that represent the artists, and we ask them, you know, who's available and who's touring during the times of the year that the festivals are going to be. And we ask about the artists that are on our wish list. And um, if artists are, in fact, touring at that time of year, then we send an offer for them. Um, And then the agent comes back and says, uh, we accept. Or they say, not enough money. Or they say, we can't because we'll be in Europe. Or they say, you know, we're no longer touring. Um, so it's very much so a bunch of moving pieces, um, but it's an incredibly exciting process because, you know, we want to put together this eclectic mix of acts, but we're kind of slaves to who's available, the budget, um, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's certainly not easy, but it's super fun. And, um, you know, booking agents are in the business of getting gigs for their, their artists, and we're in the business of booking bands. Um, and everybody's in the business of making money. So everybody's incentivized to uh, to make it happen. Right. And, uh, you know, we're lucky that uh, that we have the opportunity to do so. I'm imagining like a like beautiful mind war room type thing where it's like once someone is in, their picture's like on the wall, but then they like, <laughs> 
get pregnant and back out or like whatever you know like things happen but i'm just like that's what i'm imagining even though i'm sure it's just like a google doc but i like to imagine no, it's, um it's it's you know we have internal google docs for both of our festivals and um you know we we look at it all day long and keep it open all day long and you know stuff just happens yeah you know, and um artists are at the one yard line about to confirm but they have to back out because one of the members in the band has family emergency or there's some conflict that wasn't known about before and then we have to huddle up and say well who's available that you know fits um you know this style that we really want to book for this slot and if nothing's available uh then we rack our brains about what can we do that's kind of out of left field or different um you know those artists that aren't available that we really wanted maybe we just go back to them and send them a, a an offer that is maybe above market value price-wise to mm-hmm. pique their interest and and get them involved. So it's um it's super exciting, but also super stressful because it's the um it's the most important part of the event. It's why people buy tickets, and um, it totally sets the tone for um, the marketing cycle and the experience. And um, you know it's a. Uh, it's the most fun and the least fun part of the business. For sure. <laughs> and how many months out do you really start in earnest putting out offers to artists? Um, we start about a year to a year and a half out. Mm. Um, these days with artists planning so far in advance, we know who's going to be touring next summer already. Right. So, you know, we know who we're going to go for for our 2018 headliners for both GovBall and Meadows. And certainly things change. You know, right. artists um, recording... Uh, cycles change or things get pushed back or pushed up um, but you know agents are pretty good about letting us know who's going to be available um, and sometimes when when albums get pushed back and artists are no longer available to play you know our festival they'll say the album's getting pushed back six months but we'll you know he or she or they will be in play for 2018 so mm-hmm. let's pivot to that at, the, at that right time I feel like artists yeah. are notorious for just changing their mute their like release dates for their albums like every 25 seconds it happens it happens often but you know when you're an artist and you know your career is you know based upon the music that you put out you want it to be just right and perfect so as much as i'd love for some of the bands playing our festival to have records out month and month in advance right we can't knock them you know we want them to be we want them to put out the best music possible right um obviously we'd love for our festival to be where they're playing some of their new songs but you know, it's um, it's up to them, and we just want them to uh, kind of be successful on their own right, and um, you know, in return, we'll be successful. Um, and here's what I wanted to ask you, going back to Woodstock for a second. So, major difference between a Woodstock and a festival today is, I feel like there are a lot more legal things that you have to worry about that were just not even, you know things people cared about back in the day what kind of you know like how do you think about that in terms of being like we want people to come and have fun and party but you obviously don't want people like you know dying sure um (laughs) it's it's, not a good look it's certainly not a good look and you know our goal from the start was to be a festival that is in new york city um you know for decades and now that we have two festivals, we want both festivals to be in the city for decades. And to do that, we have to make sure that we create uh, a super safe experience that is positive for everybody, for the attendees and for the agencies that are working with us on the event. Um, and that includes NYPD, FDNY, the Office of Emergency Management, the Mayor's Office, the Parks Department, um, and a myriad of others. 
and every department has their rules uh, that we have to follow. And, you know, we apply for and get a myriad of permits for the event. Um, and all those permits have uh, rules and restrictions that we have to follow. But, you know, it's all for the attendees' best interests and yeah. uh, to make things safe. And, you know, the, the very last thing we want is for any of our attendees to have a bad time or a medical issue um, or for things to be unsafe. So, so now, yeah, um, you know, now that you're like, because they're there for a reason. Yeah. And now that you're like the rules guy who's in charge of everything, it's like you you have to be like rules guy. You know, my role at <laughs> Superfly, which is where I was before Founders, um, was in the operations role. And I worked closely with, um, on Bonnaroo, uh, the Manchester, Tennessee police and various agencies um, to make sure that, you know, all rules were followed. And I worked with the security team to set the rules for the festival and make sure that everything was followed. Um, and, you know, you want to walk the fine line between um, creating a safe environment, but also having creating one that's fun and you know people um you know don't feel too pressured and um really feel safe um but also kind of the freedom to um to have a great time so you have to you know walk that fine line and create that balance um but again you know you want to create an experience that everybody um, has a great time at and wants to come back every year and one that they remember with only positive things um not negative things like um you know anything remotely unsafe right do you have a most memorable moment, like a moment, uh, I can't believe this is my life moment? Um, it seems I have them every single year. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first year, it was such an insane experience putting everything together. Um, I didn't see any music the first year at all because I was dealing with, you know, so many different things that popped up on the day of, except for the very last band of the night, which was Pretty Lights, and to be able to kind of you know, step out of uh, the madness and be able to enjoy a few songs of his set at when all was said and done. Um, it was uh, it was an incredible feeling knowing that you'd worked so hard on this one event and, um, you know, to be around 20,000 people while they were screaming at the top of their lungs. Um, that was an incredible one because it was the first one. Uh, in 2013, when we booked Kanye West, uh, he performed. He was the last performer at the 2013 festival, and that was the year that we had uh, a torrential downpour on Friday. Yeah. Um, and that was a such a tropical storm, and uh, the result of which was a massive uh, amount of mud. Uh, we ended up calling the <laughs> festival Mudball because it was just so overwhelming. <laughs> and um, the entire time, I was walking around the festival just so miserable and upset that there was mud everywhere and. You know, the experience was what it was. But, you know, when you walk around the festival and you see people having such a great time and embracing it and, you know, looking at each other and just kind of saying, this, this is what it is. You never know what you're going to get. Let's embrace it. And then at the end of the festival, when Kanye was on stage, seeing people um, just go nuts and, you know, loving the festival, loving him, loving the experience was um, was incredible. An incredible way to, to cap off a really stressful um, a stressful year and a stressful event, and just to see, uh, just kind of a, a reminder of why we do what we do, which is to to make sure people have a great time and um, you know really provide them with a an outlet from the the craziness of New York City and the stresses of, of city life. That's real. <laughs> Who is your uh, dream GovBall performer that you've never had at the festival? My dream GovBall performer. Um, Let's go by genre. 
So for uh, rock and roll, I'd say my dream headliner would probably be Pearl Jam. Um, mm. We love them here, and they're so iconic. Um, you know, we, we've gone for them many, many times. Um, for um, indie rock, I'd love to get Arcade Fire because um, they're, they're such an amazing live band, and they continue to put out amazing music, uh, and they'll have a new record out soon. Um, for hip-hop, I'd love to be able to have Jay-Z at one of our events. Um, you know, he is the king of New York, and when I think about just growing up as a huge hip-hop fan um, and the records he put out and how much he influenced uh, hip-hop culture and, and the music industry as a whole, um, that would be probably at the top of, of, of the whole list. Um, and then when it comes to, like, singer-songwriters, um, you know, Everybody from like, you know, a Neil Young to an Amy Mann to Joanna Newsom to, um, you know, I can go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> I like every, I like every genre of music possible. Some, some really mainstream stuff to some really, really weird stuff. So, um, to be able to have a festival where you can feature all of that is, is the goal. So, um, Eliza has her own idea for a festival. <laughs> Eliza, Eliza, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> oh man, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I no, it's an it's an indoor festival of divas. It's Beyonce, Rihanna, Madonna, Mariah Carey, you name it, they're all there. They have to be kept separate because obviously they'll fight. <laughs> and yeah, it has to be inside for their sets. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Tom? Does her idea have legs? <laughs> So, I mean, it, it certainly has legs other than <laughs> it being an indoor venue. Um, when you have artists like that, I mean, look at Beyonce. She sells out multiple nights at, you know, football stadiums, which mm. is so many tickets. And you just can't find indoor venues that can house that many people. Um, and unfortunately, you need the capacity to be so large because each of those artists commands, you know, multi-million dollar paychecks. And the promoters need to be able to sell enough tickets to um, to make a profit. So that's your first hurdle <laughs> that you have to get through. Good and luck, I guess you Eliza. could do a smaller a smaller event with really high priced tickets, but um, but that would be tough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can if you could do an outdoor venue somewhere with uh, you know over a hundred thousand people, it could certainly work. Look what uh, Golden Voice did with uh, Desert Trip last year. Uh, they booked some some huge acts with multi-million dollar paychecks and they were able to make it work so it's um it's possible and tom last question before we have to go unless actually if you guys have others but i wanted so the meadows was new that was um debuted last year correct this will be the second yeah. year okay yep. so Obviously, you got bored of doing GovBall and GovBall and GovBall alone. The Meadows was next. What is next for you, or do you think you're good with having two babies? So, you know, after the third year of GovBall, we decided that we wanted to grow our company and do another event. So we looked all around the country at various markets. And what we came back to was there wasn't a market that we knew better than New York City. Mm. And, you know, being lifelong New Yorkers and living here throughout the year, we knew the city so well, and we also knew that um, you know the same sort of excitement for the beginning of summer in early June um, was also present at um, the beginning of fall. You know, I, I'd say the majority of people I know their favorite time of year is is early fall. Yes. Um, and there's not that many 
great live music outdoor events that happen in the early fall that are programmed like we like to program um, our shows, you know, multi-genre, multi-stage events that are outdoors. Um, so we decided, you know, why not do it in the city and, um, you know, capitalize on the two, we, what we think are the two best times of the year in New York City. So, um, you know, we launched the Meadows and, um, you know, thank goodness it worked and we'll be back for year two. Um, and I think, you know, this year we're growing the Meadows a bit. We're adding a third day, um, you know, really to make it on the same size and, and same level as GovBall. Um, and we want to make sure that that works and is successful so that, um, you know, that, that event has legs and, and can be around for many years to come. Um, and knock on wood, that happens. Um, you know, we are going to look to kind of the next phase of the company, which I think is going to be doing smaller, more nichier events um, in tertiary markets around the country. Hmm. Um, you know, we're talking 15 to 30,000 person events in, you know, secondary markets. I love how um, that's that like are... a small event to you. You're like just 15,000 of my closest <laughs> friends in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but you, look at, you look at college towns yeah. um, that have 100,000 plus people that is underserviced by uh, by sh- like live music, and you look at you know um, some smaller cities that are underserviced by by live music, um, but there's a large number of people there that that love live music. They just uh, don't get it coming through their their hometown as much. So um, we'll explore that. The biggest issue with these music events is um, is how expensive they are and how big of a risk it is. Hmm. And our motto from year and day one has been because the risk is so high, we want to be absolutely certain from the start or as certain as we can be that the event is going to be successful in year one. Yeah. Um, you, you hear from festival promoters that it takes three years to turn a profit at a festival. We don't buy any of that. We want to be profitable in year one. And if we can't do it in year one, we're not going to do it. I feel like that's so, kind of a like delightfully New York mentality. It's like, we're not here to make friends. <laughs> this is about money. <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way um, because we certainly <laughs> a lot of what we do is just for um, yeah I mean, the love you seem of music nice. and the experience. But yeah. <laughs> we, um, you know, when you're a small business, you you can't really afford to lose much money when you don't have kind of a sugar daddy um, behind you or like an angel investor. Um, you know, you you have to be able to turn a profit every year so you can continue, and that's how we were from the very start up until last year, um, where we had to look at it that way. Um, and that really made us run uh, a tight ship and look at things through through that lens. Because if we were to lose money, then you know we have to go out and raise money, maybe have to sell equity and so on and so forth, and you know bring other decision makers in the room that could change that could make us change our vision. And you know we just we wanted to make sure that we maintain as much autonomy as possible. And the only way to do that at the start was to um, to have a, a profitable event at the top of the mark. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Tom. This has been so fascinating. Um, where can p- tickets are obviously on sale now for Gut Ball? They will be soon for the founders, right? Or for the Meadows? Yeah, so um, Gut Ball's on sale right now. Yeah. And then the Meadows um, is announcing in two weeks. And we just actually announced the Gorillas as one of our headliners today. Um, Super cool. And, uh, and yeah, we're, we're getting crazily close to festival season so we're super excited very exciting or like season of no sleeping for you probably (laughs) (laughs) i haven't slept in a while so i hope i'm not rambling (laughs) thanks so much tom no problem all right bye-bye
Okay, if you're like me, then just the thought of going into a used clothing store seriously stresses you out. Digging through all the different clothes, shoes, and accessories is just way too overwhelming. Nothing is ever your size. Things have weird stains on it. I just can't deal. That is why I'm totally obsessed with Thread Up. It's the online secondhand store with thousands of designer and brand name clothes and accessories that are always up to 90% off. That's right, 90% off. You can search by your favorite brands like Lululemon, J. Crew, Banana Republic, Anthropology, and more. And filter by size, color, price, and style with thousands of new items added every day. Thread Up triple inspects each item by hand to ensure all their clothes are like new and many even still have the tags on. Once you find a great deal and order it, your new items arrive folded with care in Thread Up's signature polka dot box. Head over to threadup.com today to save up to 90% off retail on your favorite brands. Plus, right now, you can get an extra 40% off your first order. Just go to threadup.com cosmo and enter promo code cosmo to get an extra 40% off your first order. That's threadup spelled T-H-R-E-D-U-P dot com slash cosmo. That's an extra 40% off right now at threadup.com cosmo with promo code cosmo. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Our next guest won a Best Dance Recording Grammy Award in 2015 for the hit Rather Be featuring Jess Klein. She's the cellist from the band Clean Bandit. Bandit. You've heard their hit Rockabye featuring Sean Paul and Anne-Marie all over the radio this, this year, and they just released their newest single, Symphony. Welcome, Grace from Clean Bandit. Hi, girl. How are you? Hey. I'm really good, thank you. Where are you right at this um, exact moment? Um, so I'm in Atlanta, um, just on the side of a road, actually, <laughs> because we've just finished the sound check in, in, the, in the venue that we're performing at tonight. Oh, my God. You have the most exciting and, um, life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I love like traveling across America it's amazing because every state is so different and we drive through the night on the tour bus and then just wake up in a new place and it's really it's really exciting it sounds so glamorous well we are specifically talking on this episode of the podcast all about festivals um so how I know you played Coachella for the first time in 2015 is that right yeah that was amazing yeah that was like yeah what is the experience it was of... On the me- oh. oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I think there's a delay. No, no, it's fine. You carry on. I think there's a delay. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I was just going to say, tell us about, um, you know, obviously the life of touring seems very cool and glamorous. How does something, a festival like Coachella, how is that even different and like more interesting or more crazy or more everything for you as an artist doing a festival versus just doing, you know, touring in general? Oh, well, when you're doing your own shows, you have much more control over, like, the environment and the food that's there and, like, the the show that you put on and the lights that you bring and everything. Whereas when you do a festival, you have to kind of show up and make do with, like, what's there. And also with the audiences, a lot of people at festivals are people that just kind of stumble across you rather than have like bought tickets to actually come and see you so it's quite exciting doing festivals and like knowing that there are people there who are just hearing us for the first time and Hmm. and that that's really cool 
And um, I really like playing outdoors. So, like, when we do our own gigs, it's normally in, in like, theatres and stuff. But sure. when we play in festivals, playing in the sunshine is really nice. Hmm. One thing we were um, just talking about on one of our earlier phone calls, though, about playing outdoors is you have to deal with the weather. And um, Tom Russell, who we were just talking to, who is behind GovBall in the Meadows, was actually saying that some artists really like to play in the rain or whatever it is. How do you feel about that? Are you down with like, is that kind of exciting, actually, as a performer to feel like there's an element out of your control? Um, yeah, kind of. We have played in the rain before. Um, in UK festivals, often it's raining and it's really muddy. And we always imagine that people won't come because who would want to stand in the mud in the rain? But people come anyway, and that's something like really special about UK festivals. Like everyone just kind of goes for it and they don't care about the mud um but yeah if any rain were to if if the stage wasn't covered properly then it would be a disaster because all of our instruments are electronic right or wooden so (laughs) they would get ruined that would be a disaster is there a way that you prepare for playing a music festival versus for like one of your one of your regular touring gigs um, I don't know. I don't know. We're, after we finish this tour of the States, we're about to, like, change our set for the festival. And I think it's mainly in terms of, like, what songs to include, because usually the set time is, is shorter and... Um, people want to hear all of our hits and right. not stuff not so much stuff from like our new album so yeah so we kind of think about the set list a bit differently yeah and that makes sense what you were saying earlier too about playing to people that aren't necessarily as familiar or who might be hearing you for the first time yeah and then because we like use different singers for every song on our album um we when we do festivals and stuff often like some of the singers will be there at the festivals doing their own solo performances you know like Jesslyn or mm. Marina and the Diamonds at Coachella we meant that they could like jump on stage with us for their song which is really cool because normally we don't tour together with, with the vocalists that we use on the records because mm. they're too busy doing their own stuff yeah, so it's almost so like I'm a reunion. We'll cross paths. Yeah, so like at various points in the summer, we're doing loads and loads of festivals. We'll definitely cross paths with, with um, Anne Marie, hopefully Sean Paul, Zara Larson. So that would be good. Cool. Um, so before we have to let you go, tell us really quickly about Symphony, which is the newest single. What do people need to know? Um, well, it's. It's an emotional banger. It's kind of like the kind of song you can dance to, but also cry to. Oh, my favorite. we made a really um, sad music video, um, which I directed with Jack. And we um, told the story of a a couple, and one of them dies at the start of the video. And 
it's all about the other one's life, remembering their their lives and kind of finding his strength through music to carry on and keep developing as his own person. And um, the song features Dara Larson, who's just so cool. She's like the most um, mature, funny teenager I've ever met. <laughs> She's like so wise and really um, such a great singer and performer and massive, like big vocals on the track. And it's kind of quite epic. It's, it, it's called Symphony because we've kind of created quite a big sound, I think. Mm. Speaking of um, big sound, I have to say it sounds like you're in outer space. There is like the craziest noise coming through from here. Oh, really? What, right now? Yeah, we can hear you. It's just like, yeah, it sounded like you were being like abducted. Ah. (laughs) Yeah, because I came out here because it's even louder inside the venue because Sarah Larson's doing her sound check now. Oh my gosh. Because she's opening for us tonight. So. That's so cool. Um, she's in there doing her sound check, so I had to come outside, but it's a lot of cars out here. A lot here. of cars. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Grace. It was great to catch up with you. Um, and you have thank the coolest, you, most glamorous too. life. Thank you. I wanted to share with you all today a new product that will really help you reduce the appearance of a scar on your skin. The number one doctor and pharmacist recommended brand, Mederma. Mederma Advanced Scar Gel is the only one-time-per-day scar care product that is clinically shown to reduce the appearance of scars, making the product cost-effective and convenient. Other scar care products may appear cost-effective at first, but they have to be applied multiple times a day, which basically defeats the purpose of saving money and time. Plus, their new Mederma Quick Dry Oil is a brand new formulation on the market, and it helps improve the appearance of skin, scars, and stretch marks. Not that I have any of those, obviously. Just kidding. It is multi-purpose. It creates several functions, and you can use it for scars and stretch marks, as well as keeping your skin hydrated. It's great for use on skin imperfections, but you can also use it daily as part of your skincare routine. So go grab Mederma today. You can find it in the first aid aisle of many major retailers. Just because I love these products so much, I'll say them again. That is Mederma Advanced Scar Gel and their awesome new product, Mederma Quick Dry Oil. Grab Mederma from the first aid aisle today. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We can't talk about music festivals without also touching on fashion. So, of course, we have to call Cosmopolitan.com's style director, Charles Manning. Hey, Charles. Hi. Hi. Are you so excited to talk about musical music festival trends? Musical and musical festival trends. All, all, all of the of above. Yes, everything. Okay, I know that you um, have lots of opinions on this subject. So I do. Actually, the first thing I want to say, Carly, you know, our beauty editor, Carly, she told me she just got back from Coachella and there was not a flower crown in sight. Are those just officially out, over, dead, gone? <laughs> They are they are so dead. They're dead. They're buried. You know, they're they're fertilizing the soil where actual flowers are growing now. Um, oh wow! Yeah, um, <laughs> you yeah, really it's, brought it's that a, metaphor it's, back. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. Um, yeah, but they are they're they're dead as a doornail. I looking through all the photos, um, I I saw maybe four across probably 
six or seven hundred photos. Okay, and I actually think that's really interesting because I feel like the rest of festival style, and this is like my amateur opinion, it feels a little unchanged. Like it kind of feels like a photo from Coachella yesterday versus a photo from six years ago might not look that different. But do I have no idea what I'm talking about? No, no, you do. I mean, there's, you know, music festivals and, and Coachella in particular always sort of play off of this whole boho fantasy. Um, so the differences from year to year are not that significant in a lot of cases. Uh, this year, one of the big trends that we saw, that we're seeing, uh, that I haven't really noticed before, are these metallic, mirrored, colorful kind of uh, little crop tops and things. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they almost look like disco balls in multicolors mashed together with like uh with uh like chain mail uh, they're great they're really cool. cool they're really colorful and fun you definitely have to wear them over something else because they'll cut you uh <laughs> but you know that's just what fashion is you know sometimes you have to suffer to for, for beauty <laughs> beauty is pain it's you true. Know. It's yeah. so true. It's so true. I can't wait for the Cosmo article that's like 10 Cosmo editors wear a crop top that will cut you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, three get tetanus. Uh, right. Dies. Yeah. Great. Um, but they There's nothing great. we won't do for our art. I remember wearing, I once, sorry, just to break in with a personal story, <laughs> I wore a jean vest to my one and only Coachella experience that was so hot that I was like sweating the entire time and I was like I can't take it off it's Coachella style <laughs> it's your Coachella costume yeah it is it is extremely hot there I mean you're in the desert in California even though it's only it's, it's still April even though it's just April like it is hot I don't even know how people can wear as much black as they do there or even like full length pants yeah it so- really makes sense that so many people Every year, I feel like the one thing that people just kind of keep upping and upping is the skin factor. Right. And now you're seeing people walking in just like janties at most and a and like a little bralette, like yeah. triangle bralette. That's it. Yeah. If anything else, you're going to you are going to melt. You're going to melt. So what, in your opinion, is the sort of like, let's say you don't want to like literally wear a bra. What is like a perfect keeps you cool, but still looks cool festival outfit? Well, what's actually going to keep you cooler um, is anything that's really loose and lightweight. So you can actually be covered up if you're wearing, say, sort of like a um, like a like a, a sheer-ish uh, dress or or like big uh, sheer sort of one of those like duster coats, the really lightweight ones. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you're still going to want to wear something almost nothing underneath it, you know, but you don't have to be like so exposed to still get that like lightweight, boho, uh, not melting your face off kind of look. So basically you your advice is just wear your bra and underwear, but just like add, add a lightweight coat. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm done with that. Or, or, you know, like a muumuu or a whatever, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like a, a fashion muumuu. Um, poncho. Right. Uh, yeah. Fashion poncho, uh, caftan. Love um, it. Love it. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it's, uh, you're going to be exposing something, but you can at least create a little bit of, you know, underwear confusion. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. You know, put a print on that, put a print on that weird sheer thing. And then people are like, I don't know. Is that, 
is that a bra or is that a boob or a, I don't know what's happening. You know, like make them make them wonder. That is like straight from the style director. People underwear confusion. Um, and Charles, what about here's another fashion question for you. Why is it that every year some celebrity does something offensive? Oh, I mean, it depends on the celebrity. I think a lot of people want to, you know, especially when it comes to sort of cultural appropriation, they think of themselves, they're like, I'm not racist. I'm not, you know, I don't have these feelings. So therefore, when I do this thing, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, you know, I think that people just want to believe that they are the exception um, whether it's a celebrity or, uh, or just, you know, any person on the street, um, you know, they, they think that, uh, yeah, they just think that they, that they're, that they're special. And so their, um, you know, their use of another culture symbolism or of, you know, accessories that are culturally significant to someone else is, is okay because they don't uh, mean it in a mean way basically exactly yeah. exactly and that's sort of that is sort of the the whole point of why um you know why, why it does matter because it's not about you doing it in a way that is that is mean or hurtful or you know bigoted in any way it, it's it's being aware of the fact that you know this is important to someone else and that it's more than just a look right and so um you know, I think a lot of people, they don't want to accept that because then it impacts, you know, their decision making. Right. And they have to, they have to be considerate. But, you know, that's, that's what we all, we all got, we all got to do that. And, right. um, you know, it's, there are so many things to wear. You don't need to wear a headdress or a bindi, you know, to go out and, you know, express cool. yourself and look yeah. cool and, you know, like, there are so many other options. Um, I think, and I think that at this point, we all know better, and we yeah. just have to sort of hold ourselves accountable. So, aside from things that are obviously like culturally insensitive, aside from flower crowns, which are buried in the ground and fertilizing, mm-hmm. and we spe- as we speak, are there other things that for you are hard don'ts at festivals? Aside from all the offensive stuff, just straight up fashion POV. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not big on don'ts uh, yeah. in general. I feel like uh, you're a do. What yeah, you feel? I'm I'm a, I'm a doer. Yeah. Um, I think that whatever is uh, is giving you feels that's um, you know that that is that is not appropriative. Um, I think you should just do it and have fun. I mean, at the end of the day, going to a festival should be exciting. I think that the only don'ts I would have are. Don't wear stuff that is uncomfortable to you. Don't wear a high heel. That is not smart. Like, you know, you're walking around in, on, uh, on the dirt and on the grass. You know, make sure that you are comfortable. Yeah. I think everyone should wear sneakers all the time, personally. Um, and, and trying to, like, start some shit before we wrap up this episode, I have to ask Peggy, Eliza, do you guys, I mean, Eliza, you already said, or you confessed earlier on this episode that you spent $200 on a Coachella hat, but as entertainment people, does it bother you guys at all that these festivals have sort of been so much about fashion, or do you think there's no reason to sort of, like, pit those things against each other and every, every, everyone can have their piece of the Coachella sandbox? I think... The fashion is a big deal because all these celebrities have so much following on social media. Yeah. So people are going to pay attention to what they wear no matter what. Um, so 
even with that spotlight, when they do wear something that's offensive, it's like, really? You weren't thinking that, you know, millions of people are going to see this? No right. one stopped you or, or you just look the other way? Right. So, yeah. It's also, I'm having a thought as you're saying this now that I almost feel like for celebrities, for young celebrities in this sort of like model girl celebrities, over the past several years, like music festivals have really been their like award shows. Like not that those girls don't do red carpets but it's sort of like if you're Kendall Jenner you're not really going to the Oscars so I feel like a lot of these festivals have almost been something that for young stars are really their moment to sort of be front and center well I also think that for a lot of people you know for the people who aren't at the festival seeing the outfits is really kind of the only way for them it's it's a it's an easy way for them to participate you know you it's not the same you, you can't watch the performances and this year you can because they're live streaming some of them right but in the past you know at least by consuming um the style of the people who were there you could kind of get a sense for of the event without actually being there because it's you know those tickets are really expensive right um finding a place to stay i i think they're renting like dumpsters behind behind the motel six for like eight hundred dollars a night yeah there. literally like it is it is it is a pricey affair so you know this is a way for anyone to participate which i think is nice that's a really good point and like i mean it is true like that you know each and m's of the world have entire festival you know like sections and collections that they do every year and i think have been doing for years and obviously not all the people buying that are actually going to any festivals but yeah you just want to you know like sit on your couch and scroll through your phone <laughs> you're like i want i'm I describing want, myself. I want fringe i want couch fringe i do i, want, I do uh, want couch fringe <laughs> couch fringe and walking into the kitchen for more ice cream crop tops all yes. those things yeah couchella as they say have you guys ever seen that portlandia sketch where no. they do like a it's like them going to a festival and they wear these hats and they control drones that are actually so they're in there oh, yeah. they're on their couch and then they're controlling drones watching the festival. Oh my god, that's hilarious! And people knock it down. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my god! And also the only way I want to attend a festival right. at this now in your old your now old my age. old age. <laughs> yeah, I, I I once went to a festival, this Governor's Ball, and we had like the VIP access. Yeah, and I. I'd been to one festival before without it, and it was, and I enjoyed it. And then I had the VIP, and then I was like, "Oh, oh, I can't go back. <laughs> Never again." First <laughs> class on a like, plane. You yeah. don't, you don't know, you don't know how, you don't know how truly crappy um, the regs situation is. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, never do it. Don't do it once because it'll ruin you. Right. <laughs> VIP all the way for Charles. Yeah, or it's VIP or nothing. VIP or nothing. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Charles, as always, for sharing your brilliant fashion insight with us. Top. Um, let's do it again soon, okay? Yes, okay. All, all right. right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Um, Peggy and Eliza, thank you so much for joining us today. What did you learn on today's festival episode of the podcast, Peggy? Uh, that I should keep up and not go to festivals ever. But <laughs> I enjoy watching it from the comfort of my own home, and I hope festivals keep going on because it's great. Very great for business. Yeah, very um, concise summary about how you will never go again. <laughs> Eliza, what did you learn today? I learned some good tips about how to plan my diva fest <laughs> from Tom Russell. Yeah, I feel like I he was a little... Um, 
you know, he wasn't discouraging. I think he gave you some things to think about. He said it you should have some homework to do. Yeah. He said it needs to be outdoors. Yes. Which I'm not an outdoor girl, but yeah. I'll find a way. Yeah. Or maybe like, there, I don't know, maybe soon enough in the future, there'll be a way to have like the outdoors indoors or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Can't Grey's Anatomy like 3D print us a, you know, big ceiling? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but thank you guys both so much for joining and for sharing all your stories. Um, Eliza, I have to ask you, since you've been to so many festivals and are never going back, do you have a craziest moment you need to share before we stop rolling the mics here? Oh, my God. Okay, this is a secret story that Ooh, I will share with you. Yay. In 2008, I went to Lollapalooza. Kanye West was one of the headliners. My friends went to see Nine Inch Nails, and I was like, no, Kanye. So I went with a different friend. I had to pee really bad, but I was really close to the stage, so I didn't want to leave. So I peed in a beer cup (laughs) under my skirt in the middle of the crowd. And I thought no one knew, because I was at that point of drunk that, like, I thought nobody knew. But somebody knew and then kicked the beer cup over onto my feet. Oh my God! You but got what was I saw Kanye's whole. It set, was worth it, and it was worth it. Yeah, you would pee in that beer cup again. I would not, but <laughs> <laughs> but maybe in two maybe two thousand eight, Eliza would have done it again. Oh yeah, two thousand eight, probably all the way up to like two thousand thirteen, Eliza would have done it. <laughs> the oh, the change your life has <laughs> the turn your life has taken. Um, well, thank you guys so much. Um, and you guys publish so many amazing stories every day on Cosmopolitan dot com under our entertainment vertical, um, including Peggy's food story, which what is it called? Like secrets of Coachella food vendors. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So check that one out. It's hilarious. Um, anything you want to say about that before we have to go that you didn't get a chance to say earlier? Um, no. Uh, that I think the most surprising thing I learned from that was that people are just really friendly with each other. There's no competition. There's like one of every food item. And it's just like a great scene. Yeah. For every Eliza who's peeing in a beer <laughs> cup, there are plenty of nice, so many nice people. people. I love that. And um, do you guys want to also shout out the best place for people to follow you on social media? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm on Twitter, um, Peggy underscore T. Peggy underscore T. I'm also on Twitter, Thompson Plaid. And as always, I'm at Elisa Benson on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. Thank you guys all so much for listening. As always, please share the podcast and rate it and like it and do all those things. Let me know what you want us to talk about next time and see you guys soon. Bye. is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.